You're listening to a podcast from Newstalk ZB. Follow this and our wide range of podcasts now on iHeartRadio. Oh, g'day there, and welcome to the rewrap for Tuesday. All the best bits from the Mike Hoskin Breakfast on News Talk ZB in a sillier package. I am Glenn Hart, and uh, we've got some export data. I'm sure it's awesome and will make us feel a lot better about what's going on in the world. Uh, just like uh, that whole uh, farm emissions scheme, I'm sure that's paying off. So, yeah, it's going to be good news all around. Um, and when we've made all that money, uh, we'll need somewhere to retire, so we'll find out where the best place to do that is in the world. Um, or is it the moon? Uh, if it is the moon, I don't know if I'm taking a Russian spaceship to get there. Uh, but first up, uh, so, uh, yeah, the, the elections uh, campaign sort of cracking along. It's not officially started, but it's started, let's be honest. Uh, and uh, it's not looking great for Labour, going on last night's uh, One News poll. Um, why? Where have they gone wrong? Why, why are they looking so rough for a third term? I cannot for the life of me work out why the government is deciding to legislate to make all schools teach reading, writing and maths the same way. I mean, we have the best education system in the world turning out kids fully equipped to... Do- oh, hang on. Oh, no, we don't. Uh, that's right. Our standards in the aforementioned area are, of course, slipping, have been slipping badly for years. Attendance in the first place is a major. Kids leaving without level two is alarming. Kids leaving with no qualifications at all is even more alarming. The teacher shortage is beyond a joke. The endless meddling with the curriculum around Toreo is infuriating. All in all, one of a government's, any government's key areas, of course, of performance, i.e. education, is in a dire state. And yet, or maybe because of it, we get yet another announcement about the magic that will be created if only you give them another three years. And in that is the trick here. Have you noticed the trick? Normally after two terms, a government has a record that speaks for itself. This one does too, but just not the sort of record they want to talk about. So in order for you to be distracted from that record, they are averting your attention with a big bag of shiny new stuff they hope will suck you in. My rule of thumb is very simple. First term, bag the previous lot and install your changes. Second term, the changes come to fruition. You get a third term simply by saying, look, you see, it all works. A government is basically judged on three key things, the economy, the health system, and the education system. On those measures, you can see why they are desperate. Every one of them has and is going backwards. Not that they will find out, but train spotters might remember the problem of a third term government looking for a fourth term, as in the key government, you run the risk of looking a little bit complacent. You run the risk of looking like you run out of ideas. You've done so much for this lot, no such pressure. Their ideas are a combination of one, not delivered, so think Kiwi Build, light rail. Two, bogged down, think 10 waters and the RMA. Three, complete failures, think crime levels, violence and a couple of recessions. So a twofold issue on new promises. One, they're only announcing them to sidetrack you. And two, given their record, why would you think they would deliver them anyway? So how, how do we decide who to vote for? If it turns out that, um, that you know, when you are promised things in an election campaign, sometimes you don't even get them. It's like Mike saying you can't believe what politicians say. The rewrap. Um... It's a shame that the export data is not looking a bit better for them too, I suppose. The economy, let me give you the numbers on the export data as of yesterday. The value of goods exported by this country fell $900 million, down 14% to $5.5 billion. That's compared uh, July 23 to 22. Dairy sectors in strife, milk powder, butter, cheese, etc. fell $350 million or 19%. 
Uh, meat down 21%, logs down 18%. Monthly trade balance was a deficit, deficit of 1.1 billion. That's for one month. One month we're going backwards to the tune of 1.1. Places like Australia have a surplus. Japan has a surplus. Total imports also fell sharply. That's good from Adrian's point of view. Although having said that, much of it's due to the lower price of petrol. So gas imports fell 16%. On an annual basis, good exports were uh, $71 billion, which is up 39 So on an annualised basis, it still looks okay, but goods imported were up 7.7. So we're importing more than we're exporting in terms of gains, hence our trade deficit, hence the fact we've got to do something about our economy. If we're a country that sells stuff to the world, guess what we've got to do? Actually sell stuff to the world, more stuff. The idea is the number goes up not down. Now, I feel partially responsible because, of course, there's an eight-week period in there where I wasn't exporting any podcasts to the rest of the world, and now I'm back. Admittedly, I don't know how big of earners they are to the country's bottom line, but I'm sure it helps a bit, right? The rewrap. Now, while we're uh, talking stats, uh, let's have a look at farm emissions. Uh, this whole business has been a winner, yes? We finally got agriculture pricing for farm emissions on Friday. And what a waste of time that turned out to be. Firstly, it will not be passed by the election. Therefore, the government's view is most likely never to be seeing the light of day, given the polls. Uh, the National Party's view is different, of course, and doesn't come in until 2030. Secondly, what was announced has come out of what they call the Haywakanoa report. That report is what they call industry-led which is not actually true. Farming in the sector was involved only because they were forced into it, i.e. the government put agriculture into the original recipe, the ETS, the Emissions Trading Scheme. Farming, given they're the major emitter of methane, balked and argued successfully to be carved out of that scheme until a better deal was found. The so-called better deal was announced on Friday. There are all sorts of weird and invented ideas in there, measuring emission sequestration, all tied into our commitment to the Paris Accord to drop emissions and stop the world increasing in temperature. Anyway, upshot is, no one's happy. The whole thing has been stalled and delayed. All the time promises have not been met, and what has been arrived at not only won't see the light of day now, but it's debatable as to whether any of it works or is workable and won't drive farmers to the wall. Also important to point out is all of this is a world first, as if we're in any position to be leading the world in such matters at the moment when we're in recession. Our farming sector is getting whacked price-wise on international markets, headlined, of course, by the catastrophe unfolding in China and haunting our dairy sector. To give an insight into how big and dangerous this experiment really is, look at the carbon market, which is part of the overall ideological shambles. Uh, The carbon market is a bust and has been messed with and adjusted over and over. The government has been taken to court over it and lost over it. It has raised next to nothing this year because no one's turned up to buy any credits because they didn't trust the government's approach or attitude to it. They've messed with it again as of last week. So all in all, as far as plans go, this is the Kiwi build of climate policy. Big talk, big ideas, ultimately no action because it's too late. If there is one good thing to come out of this coming election, it's the number of dumb ideas that will not actually make it. Pricing of farming is pretty much top of that list. Man, going by the theme of the podcast so far today, it sounds like it's a pretty hotly contested list. The um, dumb ideas that come out of an election list. Uh, I mean, I know a dumb idea when I see one. Just saying. The rewrap. So, uh, yes, we've, we've had quite a lot of correspondence from people uh, suggesting they're leaving the country if Labour gets back in. 
Uh, so where should they go? Uh, by the way, a relocation company's done their annual report on where you want to retire in Europe. If you're thinking of retiring in Europe, and it seems half the world's gone to uh, Europe over the summer holiday season, but uh, they take into account population, life expectancy, cost of living, home prices, visas, safety, beaches and healthcare. Ten through one. You want to go ten through one? I like ten through one. It's more exciting. Ireland, tenth. Uh, Malta, Croatia, Slovenia. People speak well of Croatia. Uh, Slovenia, we've got a son there at the moment. Uh, France, Bulgaria, Greece, Spain and Italy, three and two. They're tied. Spain and Italy, take your pick. Number one country to retire in Europe, Portugal. That's why Cliff Richards got a house there. So, so hang on, because we were uh, sitting at the studio in Barcelona, weren't we, at one stage? It's not there. Spain's not even featured. Intr- well, sorry, they're second. Yeah, yeah, second, yeah. But so, it, but, so they, now we're going to have to move move left. And go. Yeah, go, got to go to Portugal. Okay. I wonder if it's the hardest stone effect. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's um, uh, an action movie that uh, premiered on Netflix recently starring Gal Gadot, you know, Wonder Woman. I quite enjoyed it. It's just a silly action movie, sort of Mission Impossible style action movie. But yeah, there's a lot of it that happens in Lisbon, in Portugal, and it makes it look quite like quite a cool place. The rewrap. I'm sure it's got nothing to do with it, but yeah, <laughs> it's just a theory. Uh, right, we're going to finish up here um, from Portugal to the moon. Except it's not the Portuguese space program; it's the Russians one. We told you yesterday that the um, the old lunar. 25, the Russians trying to get back to the moon. The Indians are there. They're looking for a landing spot. Well, they were last night when I was reading about it, and I assume they found the one. parking's terrible, isn't it? Dreadful. Well, and the prices have gone up as well. Uh, but the Russians crashed it. They couldn't do it anyway. Luna 25. Turns out there was a guy called Mikhail Marov, who's 90. Could have something to do with it. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Anyway, he was a key consultant to the mission. He had a, quote-unquote, sharp deterioration in his health following the crash. Um, and he's vanished. Did, did he come down with a bad case of bullets or Very something? Very difficult to know. She might have found a window. You do get that feeling sometimes, don't you, with these authoritarian regimes that uh, people might just be a bit more productive if they weren't afraid for their life, if they made a mistake. Uh, perhaps having a 90-year-old involved in the space program is... Maybe they've got that guy... Uh, have you seen with the American space launches, the guy, the sort of the spokesman, the NASA spokesman? He, he's getting up there. And then, of course, you've got the guy running actual America so you know I don't want to sound ages um, um, I'm Glenn and I, I did like the text somebody sent in this morning saying they reckon they'd seen footage of a Ukrainian drone in the area just before it crashed uh, very good very good listeners well done I, I am Glenn this is the rewrap and I'll be back with another one tomorrow uh, I'll try and do a soft landing sometimes they end up hard though don't they the rewrap the rewrap For more from Newstalk ZB, listen live, on air or online and keep our shows with you wherever you go with our podcasts on iHeartRadio.